Okay, so yeah, Christina, we were like, you were like, hey Tanner, do you want to start this recording on time or a little later because you might be hungover? And I'm like, hey, maybe let's push a little bit anyways just so I can get my ducks in a row. And you're like, great, I'll take my buckle out of the oven. Mm -hmm. Christina, what is a buckle? <laughs> it is a kind of like a coffee cake, but the big difference between a coffee cake and a buckle is that a buckle has fruit folded into it. So I had some leftover peaches and blueberries to use up, so I have a peach and blueberry buckle. Fascinating. I hope it tastes good to you. I feel like I would hate that. Well, it's my first time making it, so I will report back. Okay. <laughs> it smells great. <laughs> Because it's got, you that, know, that cinnamon, is a good sign. cinnamon and brown sugar and nutmeg and the berries and the peaches. Oh, yeah. You put everything in there that's aromatically delightful. That is true. I did. It just made me realize, though, that I was like, I need to make fewer recipes more often. Because I feel like I have this thing where I, when I bake, I'm like, oh, a new recipe. I'm going to try a new recipe. And then I try the new recipe. And then the next time I need to make something, I go, oh, I'll try a new recipe. <laughs> Although I have found a couple of good standbys. Like, I have a, uh, I have a recipe for a pear. It's kind of like a pear cake, but it's very tasty. Kind of like a sponge cake and it has nicely like caramelized pears layered on top of it. It's very ah. puffy and it's very tasty. I, I did a search for pear cake and the first result was sour cream pear cake. <laughs> Emphatically no. Well, I'm sure with the science of baking, something would happen and it would taste good. Yeah, the sour cream is probably to help give the cake extra lift. Sour cream pear cake with pecan strusel. Ooh, now I'm sold. I'm like the opposite, where I'm always making the same recipes. Uh, which is why I ended up doing drinking last night, is because my friends are like, what if we put Tanner in a controlled environment and we just tr tested out the drinks that we like on them to see if they liked more than just having a Mike's Hard Lemonade. Uh-huh. And? And I tried some ciders. I tried like three different kinds of cider and I tried some whiskey. I tried a martini. I didn't like a martini. And mm. I had a pina colada. But like, we, d we didn't crush the ice. It was just like we mixed the rum and the pina colada mixed together mm -hmm. and then just put ice cubes in it and then stirred it with a spoon. Ah, yeah. So at a certain point, all the ice melted, and then I referred to it as weird milk for the rest of the night. I also, <laughs> mm, the pina colada got me acting deeply and serious. I was taking everyone's hand in mine and saying, you're a deeply wonderful person, and I like you so much. Aww. And then I was constantly, like, leaning backwards over chairs, and so at a certain point, they were like, hey, Tanner, are you drunk? Or are you just constantly losing blood flow to your head because you keep sitting weird? <laughs> but it sounds overall like the night was a success. <laughs> the night was a success, yes. Good. I'm very glad to hear it. Oh, man, I hope the video game writers and actors go on strike. That'd be great. Truly, the only downside to that would it would mean that we'd have even less to talk about. I mean, this podcast is not about video games, so... No, but it's like, okay, well, I was gonna be like, what if some of the, the people of the show that we discuss worked on video games? And then I realized, no, I don't think any of them ever did. I don't think so, no, because I feel like everyone from... I feel like everyone from the show... From the Mothership. Yes, from the Mothership show has basically been doing, like, either stage or screen work for the most part, and screen work in the context of TV shows and movies. Darren yeah. Chris was the voice of... Oh, yeah, that's Jan true. in Dead or Alive Dimensions for the 3DS. <laughs> hey, you know what? If it's a paycheck, it's a paycheck. And at the time, I'm sure it was decently paying work, maybe. Well, if the contract doesn't go through and they have to strike, then hopefully it will be at, at the other side of it. Amen. Do you want to talk about the book? Let's talk about a book. Yes. Tanner didn't expect to have to read this book, so Tanner gave it to the second-hand store. 
And as I'm sure that everyone already has seen in the title, in this episode we're going to be discussing the second half of the book, The Land of Stories, uh, specifically The Wishing Spell by actor from The Mothership Show, Chris Colfer. Is it worth trying to do a recap for the first half of the book since we're splitting this one into two pieces? Um, no, nah, you probably listened. You probably listened to the previous episode. Do yeah, you want to do a recap? No. Okay. <laughs> we don't need to do a recap. I, I just said we don't need to, but the extremely short one sentence, one sentence summary in case this episode is not, the last episode is not the most recent thing you listened to. We got an isekai with a couple of twins whose life sucks and they get isekai'd into the book of fairy tales, thus their family heirloom, and they are now trying to find their way back and they have to gather the cow is white as milk, the cave is red as blood, the hair is yellow as corn, the summer is pure as gold. Oh wait, wrong story. <laughs> but they have to gather a whole bunch of items from fairy tales in order to get back home, they think. We'll see. And this time I actually have notes, so I'm not just doing this all off the cuff. Yay. So, picking back up here at chapter 11, and the twins, Connor and Alex, are going to the kingdom of Red Riding Hood, who is apparently the only democratically elected royal in the country, and by the country I mean the landmass, in the land of stories. She's the only one who was voted in, but I think it was just by a popular vote, so take that for what you will. And they're on their mission specifically to Red Riding Hood's kingdom, because one of the ingredients they need is a piece of bark from the first basket that Red Riding Hood ever used. And Red Riding Hood's kingdom is walled off with, like, this giant circular wall that runs all the way around it because they hate wolves so much that they even have a sign on the outside of the wall that says, All trespassers will be killed and turned into rugs, coats, or decorations. <laughs> it's just like Alberta with the rats. I, I mean, I guess. <laughs> very, that's, a, that's a very middle thing to put in a middle-grade kids' book, Chris Colfer. <laughs> but they end up having to jump the wall in order to get into the kingdom. And luckily, there is only one town in this entire kingdom and everything else is just, you know, like... Suburbs, basically. Suburbs if they were farmland. So as they go in, they pass by all of the other, I guess we'll call them minor fairy tales. They see Bo Peep Family Farms, Henny Penny Bank, Jack Horner's Pie Shop, Patty Cake Bakery, The Shoe Inn, which is, you know, from There Was an Old Lady Who Lived in a Shoe. Oh, nice. There is also a monument to Sir Humpty Dumpty. Uh, it is his wall with a sign that says, Rest in Pieces. Jack and Jill Hill, and there's an entire fountain dedicated to the boy who cried wolf. And they start heading towards the castle, because apparently, according to the journal that, that they are following, which was written by someone who apparently previously used the wishing spell successfully, and was kind enough to write a strategy guide for the twins to follow. <laughs> but as they are heading to the castle to break in, which is apparently incredibly easy, Alex, who is the sister of the twins, gets distracted because she sees in the distance a giant beanstalk rising into the clouds. And she's like, ah, it's Jack's beanstalk, we have to go check it out. And so they do, and he's depressed. Jack is depressed? Jack is depressed. Why is he de Is it because he lost his only friend, Milky White? No, apparently he is depressed because he lost his only friend, a girl. Oh no. Is his only friend Red Riding Hood? Uh, not really. They're too antagonistic for that. Oh, okay. Just checking, because I was going to be like, if I had if I'd a nickel for every time a fractured fairy tale story pairs Jack and the Beanstalk with Red Riding Hood, I'd have two nickels. But I guess <laughs> I only have one nickel. You only have one nickel right now. I'm sorry, Tanner. Okay. The only person that Jack lives with, because I guess his grandma passed away since the Beanstalk incident, is the singing harp that Jack got from the Giants, who is very gossipy and is the one who tells the twins he's depressed because his girlfriend ran away. And then the harp is like, hey, Jack, you should take these kids who are tourists to go see Red Riding Hood's castle. And he's like, yeah, okay. And it is explained that Jack has been, he has been mandated, required, uh, ordered to visit Red Riding Hood's castle every week and to bring her a new basket because she is incredibly self-obsessed and is unhealthily fixated on marrying Jack. Concerning. Yeah, yeah, it's concerning. They get to the castle, it is apparently, like, very cartoonishly proportioned. Like, the hallways are at kind of, like, a weird, like, the walls are slanted at a weird angle. Like, rooms are different sizes from what you would expect from, like, a castle that would be built, you know, well. Mm -hmm. They meet Red Riding Hood, and I wrote down here, the big bad wolf is now a big bad rug. It's literally just skinned on the floor. And, like, as Red Riding Hood is trying to flirt with Jack, 
And she did, she's trying to flirt with Jack and ignoring the fact that he brought two kids along with him. So in order to get out of the awkward situation, the twins kind of con their way into the basket treasury, which is literally just a room filled with apparently every single basket that Red Riding Hood has ever used or been given in the years since her story took place. So it is truly like trying to find a needle in, I guess, a, a stack of wicker. It's not the same, but... Oof. Well... Yeah. Are you ready for a big oof? Sure, let's hear the oof. The twins, like, for trying to soup around the basket room and everything, and it, like, I guess they're treating them roughly or whatever, they get kicked out, Jack is happy to leave with them. So the twins sneak back into the castle at midnight, because apparently all the guards just go off duty at midnight, and they don't have anyone covering the graveyard shift. Oh, yeah, that's seems like poor planning. Yes, poor planning is kind of the, the kind of motto of this kingdom, it seems like. Oh, good. Namely, like, as Alex and Connor are sneaking through the castle trying to find their way back to the basketry room, they end up wandering into Red Riding Hood's bedroom, where she is having a romantic dream about Jack. Like, Ugh. oh my, what big strong arms you have, Jack. Oh my, what <laughs> soft lips you have, Jack. Oh boy. And thankfully, they say, let's get out of here before we can hear her describe anything else. <laughs> so they end up making their way back to the basketry room, which is apparently marked out by a very, uh, a portrait of Red Riding Hood, who is barely clothed. I'm like, why are you putting up pictures of yourself being sexy in your own castle? I guess it's empowering. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's her first empowerment. I guess. <sighs> I wish it was the last. <laughs> She has no experience with it before, and so she's just decided to girl boss her way to the top. This is true. There is a lot of gatekeeping, gaslighting, girl bossing in this book. <laughs> but as the twins are looking through the basket room, they notice somebody firing a grappling hook into the room, and a strange red-headed woman with clothing that looks like leaves sneaks into the room, finds what the twins realize is the basket. And then she sets the room on fire, <laughs> because the twins <laughs> left a lantern nearby. So now the room is on fire, the twins manage to get a piece of the basket themselves, and then they immediately run out of the building that's on fire. <laughs> so the castle is going up in flames, nobody is responding, because it's, you know, probably 2am, and thankfully this is enough of a distraction that, tw that the twins are able to make their way to the border of Red Riding Hood's kingdom, where they find Jack having a secret rendezvous with Goldilocks, you know, the criminal. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh right, because we already heard that she was wanted. Yeah, wanted for, I think they established in universe. Like, her first crime was technically, like, breaking and entering for the bear's house, and then she had to go on the run, and she just has not stopped committing crimes since, including murder. But apparently they have been in love for a very long time, and they are just separated by the law, and in this case, a gate. Right. And they have a very sappy, like, romantic reunion, and I just want to read this section of dialogue. I'm a criminal, and you're a hero, Goldilocks said with teary eyes. A flame may love a snowflake, but they can never be together without each harming the other. Then let me melt, Jack said. He reached through the gate and pulled Goldilocks close to him, and they kissed. It was passionate, pure, and long overdue. Pure schlock. Yeah. I mean, I might have to genuinely borrow that line about, like, a flame may love a snowflake, and the next time that I'm writing anything vaguely romantic. Uh, I mean, I think that one's a little much. It's, well, look. I didn't say be using it for a genuine romantic encounter. You know what, that's fair. Because, you know, and you know what? Honestly, it does truly feel like it's two kids. Oh, listen. The Goldilocks and Jack and Red Riding Hood are all just kids playing adult hero melodrama for the first time in their lives. Yes, and, like, we do also need to take into account the fact that this is a middle-grade children's book. Like, yeah. schlock is perfect. I mean, generally speaking, schlock is acceptable, but it's especially apt to have in a book geared to kids in the age realm of, like, 11 to 14. <laughs> But yeah, and so the twins decide to, they, they politely wait until Goldilocks and Jack separate and she runs off to go commit more crimes on her horse, who is a very good horse whose name is Porridge. And then we are in chapter 12 now. The twins are lost in troll country because they read the map wrong. And as they're just kind of wandering around instead of, you know, stopping and trying to get their headings, figure out where they're going, they get caught in a net trap by a goblin named Egghorn and a troll named Bobblewort. <laughs> which, those, okay. just, those just delight me immensely. Those are fun names. And uh, guess what? They're slaves now. <laughs> Oh no. Because apparently the United Goblin and Troll Kingdoms, they live underground, or we find that they live underground, 
and apparently they have been just enslaving people for a long time and using the slave labor to dig out more tunnels to expand their underground kingdom. And so, of course, the twins are jailed and their dagger and their money are taken away and all of the rest of their stuff, including the ingredients they found so far, just kind of, like, thrown off to the side. And, of course, you know, being two kids from modern-day real world, <laughs> they're like, okay, we gotta bust out of here, and we gotta free the slaves. <laughs> and it turns out one of their other fellow slaves is the traveling tradesman, who was mentioned in their strategy guide uh, as the one who sold the, the journalist the instructions on how to do the wishing spell in the first place. And they're like, okay, cool, so you're smart and you know how to get out of here, right? And he was like, I actually don't care because I'm depressed. <laughs> and he also mentions that there's this, like, thornbush pit, which is literally just all of the dead brush that they cleared out of Sleeping Beauty's kingdom when her curse got lifted. And now it's kind of like a fairy tale garbage disposal. Like, anything that gets thrown in there never comes out, and it's where you just kind of put whatever you don't need. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, uh, we'll worry about that when we get there. And they are freed from their prison cell by a troll princess whose name is Troll Bella. Well, that's a little on the nose. Yeah, who saw Connor and Alex be marched in, and Troll Bella decided that Connor was cute, and she has a crush on him. And she says, I'll let you, I will let you, just you, not your sister, out of jail if you give me a kiss and be my boyfriend. And Connor is understandably reluctant, but Alex is not having any of that, and she shoves Connor into being kissed by Troll Bella, so, uh, fucking yikes. Yeah. Not great, Christopher. <laughs> but we don't have time to unpack that right now, because Alex manages to get both herself and her brother out of the cell, and then they real quick switcheroo shove Troll Bella into the cell and lock her up, and then Alex decides that it's time to free the slaves. Yay. Yeah, and notably, like, as they're all gathering stuff, and some of the slaves are like, I don't know, man, like, we could get killed. And she's like, would you rather die in your cell or die trying to get back the life they stole from you? Which is, like, metal as fuck. Mm -hmm. And so they manage to sneak out of the Troll Kingdom, and on their way out, they notice the stone crown that they need for their magic spell, uh, for the wishing spell, that is suspended in the air between the goblin and troll thrones. I guess it's, like, a symbol of unity or whatever. But they manage to grab it, even though all the goblins wake out, because Connor, in jumping to grab the, the crown, landed on the Troll King. <laughs> And woke him up, <laughs> which makes sense, I guess. But all the slaves get out, and Connor and Alex also get out because the traveling tradesman, I guess in repayment for them giving him hope and encouraging him, blocks the way with a giant statue. So everyone except for him got out. Sorry, bud. Anyway, it's time to get back on the road, uh, and they end up making it to the Fairy Kingdom, which is where the Fairy Council lives. They are, like, the ultimate body of authority over all of the rest of the kingdoms in the Land of Stories. So, you know, it's probably going to be pretty important. <laughs> As they're going to the, I guess, the town center of the fairy kingdom, they run into a herd of unicorns who are, all, of course, very pretty and who bow to the twins. And so they're like, okay, never had a horse bow to me before, but I guess we're not going to worry about that right now. <laughs> and as they are heading towards the big fairy city, luckily, they find a fairy who is sad right nearby. And luckily, the journal has a vial hidden, a glass vial that is hidden in the spine that they can use to bottle the fairy's tear. And Alex asks the fairy why she's sad. Wait, hang on, sorry, hang on. Back, back up just a scooch. Okay, so how, how is there a vial hidden in the spine? Like, you know how a, you know how a hardback book has the, um, has kind of like the rounded spine? Especially yes. if it's not like, especially if it is a medieval book. And not a modern book, because modern books usually have, like, a piece of cardboard in the spine to, uh, I guess, make it, like, make it sturdier, but, uh, I'm guessing Okay, yeah, but still, when you, when you still open the book, would you not be, like, pressing down on the spine? Like, would the vial not break when you're opening the book wide open? Um. Also, you're saying this was a hardback journal? <laughs> I genuinely don't remember if it was a hardback or a softback journal, but <laughs> there is an illustration in the book and or there's there's an illustration in the book that i have the copy i have that shows that there is enough room in the spine that you know like 
even when the book is closed, it's still kind of a semicircle. Okay. So my, my guess is that it just was, con- the book was just constructed in a way that there was enough room to slip a little, like a little glass vial in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so they find, they found this fairy. She says her name is Trix, and she's about to be put on trial by the fairy council because they are apparently, well not apparently, what happened is Trix was being bullied for being a small, for being like a tiny fairy by another fairy, and she turned his wings into fig leaves uh, in retaliation for just a second and then turned them back. But because the fairy council is apparently very big on the idea of like, every fairy is a representative of the total. We all have a reputation to maintain, that kind of a thing. Okay. They're going to put her on trial and probably banish her, and Connor, being an opportunist, is like, cool, this is our opportunity to get a fairy tier. And so he's mean to this poor, sad fairy tricks. Oh, no. Only for, like, a minute. Just long enough to get a, one of her tears stoppered in their little glass vial. But then Alex is like, do you want us to go with you to your trial and be moral support? And Connor is like, literally, we do not have to do this. We already have what we needed. And Alex is like, no, I want to help. Because I feel really bad for someone who's being bullied for their response to being bullied. It's like, Alex, honey, you are projecting. Mm-hmm. So they, they go to the big fairy city where it's time for the trial. And my note here is, Sophie would love the fairy kingdom. Because everything is glittery and bright colors and flowers and mushrooms. Okay, sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> we get a brief introduction to the fairy council, who are all dressed in uh, Roji Biv. So I guess that makes it okay. easy to tell them apart. I mean, yeah. Except yeah. for maybe the blue indigo and violets. <laughs> yeah. But the council convenes, and it's time for Trix's trial. And they're like, we want to banish you, because we need to make an example of you, even though you're already sorry. And from the back of the room, Connor declares, OBJECTION! <laughs> and he goes on a he goes on a relatively smart legal defense, basically like, Having, like, a draconian punishment for a temporary lapse in judgment is immoral, and especially since Trix is already showing remorse and already corrected the already corrected the spell that she did, then he points out, like, why isn't the fairy who bullied Trix on trial for bullying? And they're like, hmm, this is a thought. And then Connor also mentions offhandedly that the trolls and goblins are still enslaving people, so several of the fairies from the council are like, we're gonna go talk to the trolls and goblins about this whole thing. And they also pardon Trix, so yay! Yay! Also, as the twins are getting ready to head out of the fairy kingdom, uh, they notice that one of the fairies on the council has a pet. A pet walking fish. You know, the one from the story their dad told? (laughs) My god, it's just like the fish. Yeah. And Alex is like, Connor, I'm, c- I'm trying to connect two points. And Connor's like, we don't have time to connect two points right now, Alex. I've connected the two dots. You didn't connect shit, but I've connected them. <laughs> and so that's just the end of that chapter. And then we have a four-page long chapter that is just the evil queen recruiting the big bad wolf pack to find the twins and bring them to her. Okay. That's it. Four pages. One and done. <laughs> or I guess four and done. And then we cut back to the twins who are headed to Sleeping Beauty's kingdom. And Alex is still trying to connect two points. She's like, how is the walking fish not written in the land of stories? But the walking fish is here. And this is a story that our dad told us when we were growing up. Were grandma and dad ever in the land of stories? And why would they go to the real world if they got here? What is enough to make them go to the real world? And Connor is like, I do not have time to think about this right now. We need to figure out how we are going to get Sleeping Beauty's spindle. And, of course, their previous strategy guide says, LOL, I just asked Sleeping Beauty for it politely and she loaned it to me. (laughs) And on their way to the castle, they find out that, apparently, somebody stole Cinderella's other glass slipper. So the twins have one, and someone else has the other one. And they manage to correctly guess that the, or I guess correctly infer, that the same woman they saw stealing Red Riding Hood's basket also stole the other slipper. So they know someone's out there. It's definitely not Alviva, but it could be. <laughs> As they get into Sleeping Beauty's kingdom, they find out that pretty much the entire kingdom is, like, dormant. Like, no one's technically asleep, but it's just, like, everyone is still kind of, or not everyone, but a lot of people are still drowsy because, you know, they slept for a century. OMG, it's just like me. Yeah, same. <laughs> 
but because all of the castle guards are asleep, <laughs> the twins are literally just able to walk straight into the castle and straight up to the dais <laughs> where Sleeping Beauty and her husband, King Chase Charming, because Chris Colfer had a theme and he was sticking with it, but they walk right up to the royals and who are in the middle of a discussion trying to figure out what to do about the kingdom because every since everyone's asleep, they don't have anybody who can help make, like, crops. <laughs> Everyone is too asleep to farm or, like, <sighs> tend cattle and stuff, so they are running out of money. And Connor, being, you know, a boy of little forethought, <laughs> speaks up and interrupts them. And he's like, I mean, when I fall asleep in class, I have a rubber band that I wear in my wrist, and then I snap it against my wrist to keep myself awake in class. And <laughs> after the initial, like, how did you children get in here? Everyone is asleep. Oh. Sleeping Beauty's like, no, 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 let's hear it out. And <laughs> as they go to find one of Alex's, like, spare hair ties to demonstrate, you know, like, the, the snapping wrist trick, whoopsie-doo, one of Cinderella's glass slippers falls out of Alex's bag. Oops. Does it break? <laughs> no, it, no, it just kind of, like, falls out of the blanket they had it wrapped in, so it is still in one piece, but it is very obviously Cinderella's slipper. Okay. So, they get, they end up getting chased around Sleeping Beauty's castle, and luckily they end up in the spindle room, you know, the one where she was put to sleep for a hundred years, and the spindle is not there. <laughs> so... They end up crawling under the bed to hide from being found by Sleeping Beauty. Or by anyone. But then Sleeping Beauty comes in and is like, I know you're under the bed. Why do you need to borrow the spindle? And they're like, so we are trying to do the wishing spell because we need to get back home. And they're like, we know this sounds kind of crazy. And she's like, no, I believe you. The last guy came by and just asked me because he wanted to go to this other world. A world of strange machines and technology. And Sleeping Beauty believed him. Because while she was asleep for a hundred years, she had dreams about this other world. So she's like, yeah, that vibes. She gets the spindle out from where it was hiding, which was literally under the pillow on the bed. And she's like, you can borrow this if you promise to bring it back to me. And they're like, why are you helping us? And she's like, I spent a hundred years asleep not being able to do anything. If I can do something to help yeah. people, I'm going to do it. And then they hear like crowds and guards outside. And so she's like, cool, I'm going to get you out of the castle. And so she gets them out of the castle. And then they end up pitching a... We're in chapter 15? Is this 15? Yeah, 15. Chapter 15 is them going into the Northern Kingdom. They end up uh, hitching a ride on a boat, and they end up passing through literal Swan Lake. With lots of swans, none of which kill them, thankfully. That would have been awkward. Yeah. I'm a swan! Fuck you! <laughs> As they are on this boat, they look through their strategy guide, and they're, they read that, like, oh, the journalist snuck into the castle by, like, essentially floating into the castle using the moat. And they, the twins use a log to, like, help them out as a flotation device. And they get into the castle, even though Alex almost drowns. <laughs> mm -hmm. But she's okay. And they, they borrow disguises from the castle laundry so they can go check out the evil queen's old evil lab, which is where Snow White's coffin is supposed to be. But they get up there, and the coffin is not there. And while they're investigating the room, they find, you know, like, lots of instructions on how to make evil poisons. And Alex finds a stack of love notes between some guy named Mira, get it? And some girl named Evely, get it? Oh, I, I remember Mira. I forgot Evely. And so there's that, but they also find a portrait of uh, the old huntsman and his daughter, who looks a lot like a little version, or a kid version, of that woman they saw breaking and entering in Red Riding Hood's kingdom. And so they are able to piece together that the evil queen is still alive, and is, has the huntsman and the huntress looking for the ingredients for the spell, but they don't know why. And at this point, they have to hide again because Queen Snow White comes in to the evil lab, and one of her knights is like, Are you sure you're telling us everything about how the evil queen broke out of jail? And she's like, I promise that I have told you everything that I know about how the evil queen broke out of jail. And I just put my notes. Sus. Yes. And as she is hanging out in the evil lab by herself, the narration notes, it seemed hard for her to be in the room where so many attempts on her life had been planned. <laughs> At which point, uh, the twins jump out of the out of the trunk where they've been hiding. And they're like, hey, where's your coffin? And she's like, who are you exactly? And they're like, uh, we are trying to gather ingredients for the wishing spell. And also the evil queen is looking for the wishing spell ingredients too. So she's going to also be looking for the coffin. And... Snow White is like, I mean, I gave it to the dwarves, but also get out of my house. 
<laughs> so they end up hitching a ride. They, they end up getting out of the castle successfully, luckily, because they're still in disguise. And they end up detouring back to the dwarf forest where they started. And as they're heading through the dwarf forest, they find a field of trees that have been logged. And right in the middle of the field of trees is a very curvy tree. You know, the one from their dad's stories. <laughs> My god, it's, it's like their dad knew about the land of stories. I know, right? <laughs> I can't believe we're solving this puzzle in a book made for middle graders. <laughs> We're so smart. Uh, so when they get to the dwarf mines, they get there at quitting time, and everyone's, you know, there's a bell ringing, and so they're all packing up and going home. And my note here is, I hope they're unionized. Because <laughs> I think that'd be nice. And as the twins are hiking through the through the dwarf mines to try to find Snow White's coffin, Alex is like, hey, Connor, isn't it weird that Dad's original stories have characters that are alive in a land of stories? And Connor's like, la 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 I can't hear you, la 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 Alex is like, Dad was from the land of stories! Wow! Why didn't he tell us? If dad is from the land of stories, then grandma must be from the land of stories. Whoa! And then the question is like, so if dad and grandma are from the land of stories, then how did they get to the twins' hometown without using the wishing spell? And Connor is Connor is having a breakdown. They have a yelly fight. But by this point, they've gotten to what seems like it's kind of like the, it's not the break room, but it is like a hall where like they have a specific like table set up and everything. And at the back is the glass coffin with like a plaque memorializing like, hey, this is where our friend Snow White slept when she was almost poisoned to death by the evil queen. And so they get the jewels they need from the coffin. And then, uh, surprise, they were followed into the mines by the big bad wolf pack. And so Connor tries to hit them with a pickaxe, which does not go over well. And they do try to, like, barter with the big bad wolf pack. Like, hey, like, you don't really want to do this. And Connor's like, I know what I'm gonna do. And he goes up to the lead wolf, Melum Claw, and is like, bad dog, very bad dog, sit. <laughs> and everyone else has kind of like a dude, what the fuck are you doing expression on their faces, including Alex and the wolves. <laughs> And, like, before this, the wolves had been like, can we just, like, bite some of their limbs off? They don't need all their limbs, right? And Malumclaw's like, no, let's take them in as is. But then after Connor is like, I said sit! That's a very bad dog! Go to your basket! Malumclaw is like, I changed my mind. You can't eat their limbs. <laughs> and so the twins escape by throwing a lantern at them and setting a wolf on fire. And then we have a minecart escape scene, where basically they find they find a minecart and... The wolves manage to accidentally knock the brake lever off. So the twins just go on a, a minecart roller coaster ride through the mines, and their velocity in the minecart is enough that they're able to they end up breaking through a rockfall, and they end up back out in the dwarf forest, which is, you know, cool. But then, as they are trying to run for their lives from the wolves, they get knocked out by their old slavers, Bobblewart the Troll and Egghorn the Goblin. Oops. <laughs> so then they wake up a day and a half later, back in the wagon, back on their way to the Troll and Goblin Kingdom, because even if they weren't exclusively wanted for stealing Cinderella's slipper, they did also steal the crown from the Troll and Goblin Kingdom, and they are going to be prosecuted for it. <laughs> and apparently, the fairies just showed up and lectured the Trolls and Goblins, so they did nothing. Ah. Yeah. But Connor does a very smart thing, which is, he got clawed when they were trying to escape from the wolves, and so what he does is he kind of, like, sticks his arm off the side of the wagon to leave a blood trail. Okay. Which the wolves are able to follow and track them down, because they're oh. following the scent of the blood. And so then the wolves show up, and Bobblewart and Egghorn run off to try to fight the wolves, and it's implied they get eaten. So, sorry, NPCs. <laughs> but in a very metal move, uh, they're trying to get free from their bonds. And Alex has the great idea to break Cinderella's glass slipper. And she uses the jagged edge from the glass to cut their bonds. And so they are able to escape. And as they are running, they run through the forest and then end up teetering over the edge of a straight cliff that leads into Mermaid Bay. And uh, with, <laughs> with no other options, with the wolves at their back and an incredibly steep drop in the ocean below them, Connor pushes Alex into the bay and then jumps himself. So... Bye, guys. <laughs> and then that's the end of the chapter. We cut to a POV chapter from Goldilocks. Okay. Who is being chased by some knights or, or cops or whatever from one of the kingdoms. It doesn't matter which. 
but she ends up finding this disused barn and tells her horse, Porridge, like, go find a place to be safe and we'll meet back here at sunrise. And because it's a fairy tale, Porridge understands perfectly because she's a yeah. very good horse. Mm-hmm. And in the in the disused barn, which I should mention is dirty and also has blood stains, <laughs> just like mm. on the floor. Yay. But Goldilocks is going to, I guess, go to sleep for the night. And in the hayloft, she finds a very fancy blue dress. And she's like, oh, this is like the kind that I used to wear before I became a fugitive from the law. And so she puts it on. And then, oh, look, there's just a mirror there somehow. And she's like, well, I wish Jack saw how pretty I was when I wasn't breaking the law. <laughs> My note here is, this is a bad idea, Goldilocks. And then it turns out that, guess what? The evil queen starts talking to Goldilocks from the mirror because she can do that, I guess. Yeah, that tracks, honestly. Yeah. And the evil queen exposits Goldilocks' backstory, which is that she got... She and Jack were kind of, like... They were interested in each other, but they hadn't started dating yet. And Goldilocks got a letter from Jack saying, like, let's go on a date. Meet me at this specific house. And so she went there. She waited for a very long time. Jack never showed up. And she said, well, I guess I'll take shelter here for the night. That was the bear's house. So she got... Uh, they, she was found out, uh, charged with breaking and entering, and she's been on the run ever since. And do, do you know who wrote the letter to Goldilocks that put her on the path of crime? Who was it? Red Riding Hood. <gasps> oh, no, I did actually remember that now. <laughs> <laughs> and with very little with very little persuasion needed, Goldilocks decides that she's going to go murder the hell out of Red Riding Hood. Whee! And she doesn't even wait for her horse. She's like, I'm just going to go <laughs> on, I'm going to run there on foot and pull her out of her castle by her hair. And then we cut to the next chapter, where the twins are relaxing, and they are alive. Connor is like, I am so comfortable, I might as well be dead. And then, surprise, you're not dead. You're actually under the sea, in an air bubble, sleeping on an open clamshell. <laughs> and after the initial, like, oh my god, Connor, I can't believe you pushed me off a cliff to save me from being eaten by wolves. They realize that, oh hey, we're being watched by mermaids. <laughs> and they're all waving at us and being friendly. And they're like, okay, so our boss wants to talk to you. The sea foam spirit wants to talk to you. And my note here is just, oh shit, it's Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool that Chris went with a much, much, much more traditional Little Mermaid. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they do even mention that because, like, the seafoam spirit shows up and she is literally just a, cl- a cloud of seafoam. And Alex and Connor yeah. are like, are you? And she's like, yes, you probably know me as the Little Mermaid. And Alex is like, oh. And Connor's like, dude, I am so sorry. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's dead, technically speaking. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. And, yeah, I fell in love with a guy who lived on the land, and he wouldn't fall in love with me back. And then my sisters traded their hair to the sea witch to get the dagger that, they were, that I was supposed to kill him with, but I couldn't do it, so I turned it to sea foam, and we still have the dagger. Or, I guess, actually, I had the dagger. Because, also, the sea foam spirit has known... She knows, like, everything about their looking for the wishing spell ingredients, and also specifically needing... What I just wrote down is Ursula's dagger. Because, apparently, the sea foam spirit can just hear anything that's said near water, and, like, pick up on emotions that are felt near water. Dang, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, and Connor briefly is like, so is the point of your story that, like, why weren't there any available mermen? And she's like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, maybe. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> and then Alex is like, okay, so where's Ursula's dagger? And then it turns out that the journalist, the one who wrote their strategy guide, had the dagger. And the seafoam spirit asked that he destroy the dagger after he was done, but he didn't destroy it. So I guess he figured he might need it again. And so he threw it in the mm-hmm. garbage disposal thorn bush pit. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> And so then she gives them, like, magical seashell necklaces that will keep them safe from all of the live thorn bushes in the garbage disposal pit, but only as long as they promise to destroy Ursula's dagger when they're done with it. And she also mentions, like, if one of your necklaces gets broken, then they both are going to break. They're like, okay, that sucks, but okay. And so, like, Alex is like, why are you being so helpful to us? And the seafoam spirit is like, why are you always suspicious of people being nice to you? (laughs) And they're like, uh, because sometimes people suck in the world that we're from, and we're not used to people just helping because they want to help. (laughs) 
And so she's like, but you guys are good people, and I trust you, so keep up the good work, kiddos. And then they travel by mermaid back to the Sleeping Beauty Kingdom. And they have, in a new chapter, I think this is chapter 19 now? 19 out of 24, so we are trucking. All right. As as the twins are headed to the garbage disposal pit, they're like, well, we've had such a fun time in the land of stories, but we'll, and we'll miss being here when we go home. But also, as soon as we get back, we are going to interrogate Grandma on why and what and how. And also, are we related to any of the royalty here? <laughs> so they get to the garbage disposal pit. They put on their magic necklaces. They get to the bottom of the pit with a lot of climbing. There's a lot of skeletons down there because apparently it's a pretty common murder method. <laughs> Just throw someone to the bottom of the thorn pit. They're going to die. <laughs> so they do also find, luckily, uh, Ursula's dagger. So now they officially have all the ingredients they need. But on the way back up, they end up one way or another, like one of their necklaces. One of their necklaces comes off. They have to climb for their lives. They get almost to the top, but they get caught. And then they are pulled safely over the ledge by their good friend, Froggy. Yay. Who has apparently been trying to track them down for two days. <laughs> because the fairy godmother is looking for Alex and Connor specifically. And she promised Froggy that she would turn him back into a human if he brought them to her. So it's not quite bounty hunting. <laughs> but it is definitely a, hey, should you really be doing this, bud? Alex and Connor decide, like, well, we'll go with you to, to see the fairy godmother because you were really nice to us when we first got here. <laughs> And they're like, we can wait to cast the wishing spell one more day. And then in the distance, they hear, standing back from the microphone, You do this to me, you bitch! <laughs> Paraphrase, of course. <laughs> but they look over and they see Goldilocks riding her horse porridge and dragging Red Riding Hood behind her horse across the countryside. Because it's all about a boy. I'm sorry that you seem to be confused. He belongs to me. The boy is mine. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the twins and Froggy are just kind of standing there as like, Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks do this yakety sax chase scene around the edge of the garbage disposal pit, saying things like, shut up you red hooded harlot, basket carrying bimbo, fugitive floozy. <laughs> and they eventually end up like, with Goldilocks holding a Red Riding Hood at sword point, like, where her only options are be stabbed to death or fall into the thorn bush pit. And Red Riding Hood is like, you can have my castle, just let me live! And Goldilocks is like, I don't want your castle, I want revenge! And Red Riding Hood falls toward the garbage disposal pit, but then she is lassoed in midair by the Huntress, yeehaw, <laughs> and pulled to safety. And then the Huntress drags Red Riding Hood behind her own horse as they head off towards the evil queen. And then the wolves show up, because of course the wolves show up. Mm -hmm. And Froggy's like, uh, I have very long legs, so I'm going to do a super jumble for the wolves and go get help. And then the wolves arrest Goldilocks and the twins, and they're going to take them to the evil queen. And then Goldilocks says, Be brave, children. Courage is one thing that no one can ever take away from you. I just put in my notes, Courage, Blaine! We get to the next chapter. We have already skipped the travel montage. They are at the evil queen's rental castle. Nice. <laughs> I keep forgetting it's a rental. It is. And, well, it's not even a rental. She's squatting in the castle. <laughs> hey. It's free. Real estate. And so Red Riding Hood is already here, as are the Huntress and the Huntsman. And the evil queen is like, she has all of the ingredients for the wishing spell assembled on the table. Both Alex and Connors and the ones that the Huntress got for her. And so she's just like, okay, uh, go take the rivals, I guess. Go take Goldilocks and Red Riding Hood to the prison and put them in a cell. Separate cells so they don't kill each other. And leave me alone with the twins. And Connor is like, oh, you better not do magic against us. And she's like, the only power I have are the powers of intimidation. And also I can poison you because I have a chemistry degree or whatever the medieval version of that is. <laughs> and so the, the evil queen has, she takes out the fairy tear and she goes to like uncork the vial and like pour it onto the ingredients and cast the spell. But then Connor manages to do a real high kick and kicks it out of her hand where it evaporates. And so they do not have a fairy tear anymore. Oh, uh, and then he gets backhanded. So, yikes. <laughs> and the evil queen goes to her magic mirror, who reveals that Froggy is on his way, along with Jack, and Porridge the horse, and an entire army. Whee! 
and uh, the evil queen looks, just kind of like stares in the other mirror that she has, which is the mirror of truth or whatever I guess it is. I think it shows you like your best self or something. And so Connor is like, Alex, we're probably gonna die here, so I want you to know that I love you and I've enjoyed going on fairy tale adventures with you. And if we survive, please don't tell the guys back at school about this. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, don't make me cry. You're saying goodbye, we're just gonna die, but we're not gonna die. And Connor is like, evil queen, why are you so evil? And she's like, well, what makes you not evil? Checkmate. Take that. Mm -hmm. We're the same. And Connor and Alex are like, well, we grew up with good parents who raised us with love and taught us how to do the right thing. And arguing for, you know, nurture over nature. And it's like the whole argument of like, are people born wicked or do they have wickedness thrust upon them? And it's time for a backstory screed. I'm gonna oh boy. paraphrase this as much as I can. Basically, a long time ago, there was an enchantress who did whatever she wanted to because she was very powerful. This is probably the same enchantress who did the whole Sleeping Beauty thing, and also probably the same one who did Beauty and the Beast if they get to Beauty and the Beast. But she tried to take over the whole lane of stories. In a random village that doesn't even bother getting a name, this young lady who was desperately pregnant or tried to get shelter with some villagers, died in childbirth, the villagers raised her daughter, named her daughter Evely. Hmm, there you go. Evely fell in love with a soft boy named Mira, hmm. who was a poet. Did he know he it? He did know it, and she knew it too, even though she could only ever do couplets. But he didn't mind. <laughs> But then, the evil enchantress came to their village and said that Evely's mother, and so also Evely, belonged to the enchantress. Unclear if it's slavery or employment, but anyway, the enchantress killed Evely's adopted parents and told her, you're gonna go marry Prince White, who is Snow White's future dad. And I guess while she was growing up, Mira found out where she was being kept, which is in the castle where they currently are at the present time. And then they were like writing each other letters and like meeting up when they could, but then the enchantress found out and stuck Mira in the magic mirror. Damn, that sucks. So, so the evil mm -hmm. queen decided that she was going to destroy the enchantress, which she did by studying her chemistry, and she made a poison so strong that it killed the wind surrounding the castle and depowered the enchantress, who apparently was reduced to the level of strength of an ordinary elderly human, and ran off into the woods and died. Didn't find the body. You should have found the body. Yeah, when you don't find the body, how do you know mm -hmm. that they died? Also because uh, the next book in the series is titled The Enchantress Returns. Hmm. Oh snap, I bet somehow the enchantress returned. So then the evil queen, having killed the enchantress, freed all the slaves in the castle and tried to free Mira from the magic mirror. No one could help. So she ended up going to the witch Hagatha, who was the one who knew what the ingredients were for the wishing spell. And also who was the one who got thrown in the garbage disposal pit and made it into the garbage disposal pit. And then she died. But before she died, the evil queen went to Hagatha and had Hagatha cut out her heart. So now, she's heartless. Unclear about whether we should put in this thing like, How could you be so heartless? Or, Your decision. <laughs> yeah. You have options. I trust your judgment. There, there are many it. options. But yeah, uh, so the evil queen put King White under a love potion and then poisoned Snow White's mom as soon as she went into labor with Snow White. So, in the course of like six months, the evil queen has managed to make the king fall in love with her, poisoned the queen, so the queen is dead, and then three months after being married to King White, she killed him too. <laughs> but unfortunately, it has been long enough that Mira was losing his sense of identity to being stuck in a magic mirror. Like, in exchange for being like omniscient, he was like, his sense of identity was basically gone. And the whole reason that the evil queen was trying to like, look young and not age was so that he would remember her by her appearance. Except apparently when Snow White got older, she looked a lot like Evely when she was younger. And so Mira was like, Snow White is the prettiest woman in the world. And so now she has to die. Yeah, dang that dang. sucks, man. Uh, and then as the evil queen finishes, like, telling her story, Connor is like, why don't you just, like, tell everybody about your extremely sympathetic backstory? Like, you did commit a lot of murder, but you also are incredibly traumatized. And she says, the world will always choose convenience over reality. Oof, that's yeah, the real man. Woof. And then at this point, Alex starts crying, you know, reasonably. And the evil queen is like, hmm, you're crying, interesting. And then takes one <laughs> of Alex's tears and throws it onto the rest of the ingredients and activates the wishing spell. So, like, the magic items, like, start to glow and stuff. And she says, like, wishing spell, I wish to free the man stuck in the mirror. And so then the mirror kind of, like, opens. And then this, like, plain-ass white bread guy, Mira, like, is kind of standing there. And then he just, like, face plants 
onto the floor, and the evil queen doesn't even try to catch him. He just, like, ragdolls onto the ground. <laughs> you would think he would be less off after spending so long in a mirror. I guess. I guess he's glass now. Yeah. So, hey, you know, once once upon a time, Evely knew a guy, and it was a gas, but soon turned out he had a heart of glass. <laughs> That's good, Tanner. Unfortunately, we do have to go back to the sad part. Because okay. Mira does not know where he is, and the evil queen grabs her stone heart, because apparently the only way that she feels emotion and pain anymore is if she is physically holding her calcified heart. And she's like, like, Mira, it's me, it's Evely, you're free. And she's crying, and she's a wreck. He doesn't really know what's going on, but he does look up at her, and his last word is saying her name, and he dies. Oh, I forgot he died. Yeah, Dang. he did. That's rough, buddy. And so, you know, reasonably, she's just sitting there, bawling her heart out. Well, she can't do that. Her heart's, She's physically holding her heart in her hand. But she's bawling her eyes out. And then we just cut to the wolves being outside the castle. And they see the reinforcements coming in. And so they're like, we're going to go storm the castle and get Red Riding Hood so we can kill her and we can leave this castle alone. And then the reinforcements show up and they're like, we're going to siege this castle with a cannon. <laughs> and so they get a line of actual goddamn cannons out and start shooting the castle up. But then... Dang. Yeah. Efficient. Well, it's a rental. Evelyn's never going to get her deposit back now. <laughs> I mean, given that the deposit was probably literal blood money, like... Probably for the best. Yeah, perhaps. I guess. And <laughs> this is when Froggy and Jack point out that, like, hey, there's a queen in there. Like, Queen Red Riding Hood is probably in there, and also Innocence. So we should get them up before you destroy the castle down to the foundations. Yeah. And so then we cut to the jail, where the wolves show up, and they're like, we're taking Red Riding Hood and getting the hell out of Dodge. And so the huntsman is like, okay, here you go. Here's Red Riding Hood. And the huntress goes to find the evil queen, and Red Riding Hood gets away. And she's, ah, 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 and just kind of flees into the rest of the castle, and all the wolves give chase. <laughs> Jack shows up in the, in the prison, and Froggy is there too. And Jack is like, Goldilocks, my beloved. And she's like, Jack, my beloved! And Froggy <laughs> is like, I'm gonna knock third wheel and go find Red Riding Hood. Yeah. And then as soon as Froggy leaves, the huntsman produces a crossbow and starts to have a shootout with Jack, who has Goldilocks' sword, and he somehow manages to do a perfect parry and deflects a crossbow bolt behind the huntsman's head where it stabs him in the back of the neck and he dies. Dang. Dang. And then his daughter, the huntress, comes back. And then she stabs Jack in the arm. And then seeing this happen, Goldilocks breaks out of her cell using one of the crossbow bolts. And now it's time for a girl sword fight. <laughs> and they proceed to Inigo Montoya and the Dread Pirate Robbers their way throughout the castle. Like, they just disappear and they're kind of, like, in the background of scenes, like, sword fighting their way through the building. Red Riding Hood finds herself crying and running her way up to the rotted upper levels of the castle. Like, exposed to the elements, holes in the floor levels of the castle. And so a bunch of the wolves that are chasing her fall through the holes in the floor to their depths, or to their deaths, excuse me. And Malum Claw corners Red Riding Hood, and they get through like the, oh my, what big claws you have, oh my, what big teeth you have. And then we get a Deus Ex artillery, because a cannonball just breaks through the wall and blows Malum Claw up. <laughs> and like, this is the point where you kind of sense that Chris Colfer is like, oh my god, I gotta wrap this up, I gotta wrap this up. <laughs> because then Red Riding Hood starts to fall to her death, and luckily Froggy manages to jump so high that he catches her, and she immediately starts kissing her cheek. He doesn't know what to do with this, but they run off to go find the twins. <laughs> Back in the evil lab, the evil queen is still catatonic and crying over her dead fiancé. Froggy shows up and unties the twins. The twins are begging the evil queen to do literally anything. Like, look, like, you can survive, you just have to get out of here, I'm sorry, he's dead, we have to go. And then a cannonball blasts through the wall and destroys the mirror of truth, and the glass in the magic mirror starts to regenerate, which is weird, but it starts to, like, seal back up again, and then the magic mirror falls on top of the evil queen and Amira. It's, like, one of those things where it's, like, it is open as it falls, it absorbs them, and then it hits the wall, or hits the floor, and the whole thing with them in it shatters into pieces. <laughs> I'm sure that'll have no ill effects whatsoever. I'm sure this won't come back anytime in the future. <laughs> but apparently, the evil queen did somehow manage to drop her heart of stone, and Alex is like, I'm gonna take this. 
And in offhandedly, it mentions that, that, like, Alex sees herself in a shard of the Mirror of Truth, and she has very pretty fairy wings. I'm sure this will come back later. And so all the big characters then meet up in the foyer of the castle, and this is when ja- this is when Red Riding Hood finally gets it through her thick, thick skull that Jack is just not that into her. <laughs> and so they all escape the castle, and they're like, oh no, where's Goldilocks? Look, what's that? It's the Huntress and the, it's the Huntress and Goldilocks dueling on the roof beams. <laughs> like, they're on the top eve of the castle, sword fighting to the death, and Jack is like, Goldilocks! He grabs a cannon and, in a perfect shot, manages to literally blast the Huntress off the roof. <laughs> like, she, like, Looney Tunes into the distance. And then the narration even mentions, like, there is no way she could have survived the fall. But then, of course, just as Jack and Goldilocks share a romantically charged eye contact, the building collapses under her. So she's probably dead, but not really because then Froggy goes and finds her and she's alive and they have a big kiss. Yay! Yay! And the Northern Kingdom sh- soldiers who they're with try to arrest Goldilocks. And Jack is like, Red Riding Hood! And she's like, fine! <laughs> I pardon Goldilocks on behalf of the Red Riding Hood of all the crimes! And the head of the Northern Kingdom soldiers is like, You may pardon her for the crimes she committed in your kingdom, but she still wanted everywhere else. <laughs> Whoops! Diplomatic immunity only works in one country, apparently. Apparently. So they all go back to the old, to the Northern Kingdom. Alex and Connor go up to the evil lab and they meet Snow White. She's been redecorating. And then Snow White sends everyone else to, like, go get cleaned up or whatever. And Alex and Connor tell her everything that's happened. And they're like, And we know that... The evil queen is almost definitely dead because here is her stone heart. We got it for you. <laughs> here, take this. Yeah. And this is when Snow White reveals that she was the one who set the evil queen free. What? But she did it out of pity because she was like, man, your life sucks. You need somebody to show you <laughs> kindness. And my kindness is letting you out of jail so you can try to kill me again. <laughs> and Alex and Connor are like, what are we going to do now? And Snow White is like, we're going to honor her memory every day by giving others the compassion and understanding that the evil queen has never given herself. Like, villains are mostly just people villainized by circumstances, which is like, metal. Mm-hmm. And we have a brief scene in the jail where Red Riding Hood shows up to free Goldilocks from her imprisonment. But first, an apology letter. It's very Leah Michelle. Oh no. <laughs> Literally, I'm going to read it in full. Okay. Dear Goldilocks, I'm sorry I've ruined your life. Red Riding Hood says, Wow, I already feel better after saying that part. Looking back <laughs> on it, I know that sending you that letter when we were kids wasn't the right thing to do. I never meant to force you into being a fugitive. I thought the bears would scratch you up or eat one of your arms at most. I've loved Jack for just as long as you have, but he has chosen to love a less attractive, less intelligent, and less wealthy girl instead. He loves you, not me, and this is the hardest thing I will ever have to realize. I hope that by freeing you from the dungeon tonight, you can forgive me. Love, your friend, Her Majesty, the Great Queen Red Riding Hood. Woof. Yeah. Um, but she does let Goldilocks out of prison, and Goldilocks takes the opportunity to slap Red Riding Hood across the face. Excellent. <laughs> and they both go out to Ugly Duckling Pond, where Porridge the Horse and Jack are waiting. And so Goldilocks and Jack ride off into the night, fugitively ever after. And then Red Riding Hood is sitting there, and she, she cries so hard, all her makeup runs. <laughs> but you know who's also there? There's Froggy, collecting the flies around, and lightning bugs around the Ugly Duckling Pond, because he is a frog. He is a frog. He is. And he says some nice stuff, which is like, because Red Riding Hood is like, How will I ever get over this heartbreak? And he's like, it doesn't matter how much you've been hurt or how much you are hurting. It's what you do with the pain that counts. Like, you could cry for years, and rightfully so, or you could choose to learn and grow from it. Take it from me. I spent years hiding in a hole, afraid to come out because of what people would think of me. But one day, I decided to leave, and I ended up saving lives, including yours. (laughs) And she's like, well, you're very smart. With all my dreams crushed, now I can devote all that empty headspace and energy to my kingdom. Literally, she says all that empty headspace. It's not a paraphrase. You know what? At least she's self-aware. Self-aware as much as a fantasy character can be. Yeah. So we are in the last two chapters, finally. Okay. Alex and Connor get rested up at Snow White's castle. They get to hang out. They get to tell a lot of stories. They have dinner with the seven dwarves. They destroy the dagger. They do some research and find that there's really no other way to travel to another dimension except the wishing spell, and that's all used up now. Mm-hmm. And they decide that they're like, oh, well, we should probably actually go see the fairy godmother. But before they're going to go see the fairy godmother, they get an invitation to, I guess, a christening. Can you call it a christening if there's no Christ in it? I don't know. I mean, I looked up 
with other stuff for Land of Story stuff, and apparently they do, like, swear to God during coronations and legal proceedings. Like, I've seen quotes of them saying, so help me God. So maybe, maybe Jesus Christ is real in the Land of Stories, and maybe Christianity itself is wild, a fairy tale. Wild, if true. <laughs> but whatever it is, what they got was an announcement that Cinderella had her baby! It's a daughter! Yay! Yay! And Cinderella invited everybody to come meet the baby, including Alex and Connor. And the invitation is labeled to Alex and Connor Wishington, because that's the fake that's the fake name they came up with and they've been using throughout their whole adventures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Red Riding Hood is like, Froggy, you're going to be my plus one because you're my new best friend. And so they go on a road trip to Cinderella's kingdom. And then we get to see Cinderella hanging out with Rapunzel and Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. I don't think Rapunzel is married to a Charming. I don't think. Because there's four Charming brothers. And three of them are married to Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and, St and Snow White. But they're still friends anyway, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. And also the fairy council is there, they're all hanging out because the fairies are going to bless the baby. And people are like, wait, why are the twins here? They're the thieves! But Cinderella is like, it's okay, <laughs> it's okay, we're good. I invited them here, I like them, and I'm the best, so my opinion is the only one that matters. And it's a really funny moment because all of the husbands are like standing off to the side. All of the charmings are like, they get introduced to Froggy. They're like, oh hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, I'm Froggy. And they're like, nice name! <laughs> And the baby is very cute. She looks just like Cinderella. She's got like auburn hair and very nice eyes for a baby. So the twins take the opportunity to return the spindle to Sleeping Beauty, who reports that apparently the rubber band trick has been working wonders for her kingdom and all her people. And we get to, thankfully we get to pass over Snow White info dumping the evil queen's backstory to the other royals present. But it does inspire Cinderella to pick a name for her daughter. Her name will be Hope. So she's going to be Princess Hope Charming, the future queen. All right. Yeah, I really like it. Uh, and then it's time for the blessings. So the fairies give Hope gifts of wisdom, health, compassion, wealth, pride, discipline, and beauty. And like, come on, y'all aren't gonna give her hope? You're gonna make this baby depressed? Hope gonna be hopeless. <laughs> but then the nice knight who Alex and Connor met before uh, shows up and is like, the fairy godmother is here and we'd like to talk to the twins alone in the clock tower. And they go up to the clock tower and they're like, oh, really hope she's just wanting to repair the glass slipper, or the one we broke. I hope we're not in trouble. And then Taylor, do you want to guess who the fairy godmother is? <laughs> If I remember correctly, it is, in fact, the grandmother. It is! You win a prize! Hooray, I win the Marvel No Prize. You win a prize. It is the middle school reading competency for prize. Which yes. a lot of the people on the internet nowadays seem not to have. But yeah, so it is. The, so she is, in fact, the fairy grandmother. And they all have a big hug. And they're like, we were trying to find you! We were trying to get the wishing spell so we could go home! And she's like, so that's why I couldn't find you! Because you were literally traveling all over the land of stories! And you were never in the same place for more than, like, a day and a half. <laughs> and they're like, we were following! the whole time and they're like what exactly. and so then she backstories that apparently when she was much younger before she met their grandpa and had their dad she's like i have done everything that i can to solve the problems of the people around me so i'm going to wish that i could go someplace where i will be needed the most and so she ended up in the real world with a bunch of really <laughs> sad and depressed kids who she told fairy tales to which gave them hope and bravery and so they have something to believe in and it turns out that the fairy grandmother is the only one who can deliberately travel between worlds like she can take people with her but she's the only one who can, like, open the door, so to speak. So she and some of the other fairies, specifically Mother Goose, like, started traveling back and forth between the worlds to help spread fairy tales. And when things got too busy for them to do all the traveling themselves, they recruited the Brothers Grimm and Hans Christian Andersen to help spread the stories. And the funny thing is that apparently there was initially a time difference. Like, one week in the land of stories is equivalent to decades in the real world. But once Connor and Alex were born, time slowly adjusted so now they're both at the same speed, if that makes sense. That does make sense, actually. It also solves some of the problems I had earlier, which is like, so... Because originally I was going to be like, how would Grandma be responsible for spreading the fairy tales if she showed up, like, at best, maybe 80 years ago? And these mm -hmm. stories are centuries of years old? But no, okay, this this time dilation has solved a lot of problems I had, and I accept this. Yes, and the good news is their mom will not be old when they go home anymore. But they no longer exactly. have to worry about that. So their dad met their mom because their dad went with fairy grandmother to the real world to help read stories to sick kids in the hospital where their mom worked. And that's where they met and they fell in love. And... 
Terry grandmother initially forbid their dad from going back to the real world. So that's when he went through and gathered the wishing spell and wrote the strategy guide so that he could go back. And she's like, you went through all this to go back and be with the woman you love, so I will give you my blessing, and also I'll come visit. And so Alex and Connor are the first kids of both worlds. Like, they're the bridge connecting the land of stories with the real world. And also they're part fairy, which is why the evil queen's spell was able, why she was able to do the wishing spell with one of Alex's tears. Mm-hmm. And also, this is apparently how they got into the book in the first place, because Alex wishing that she could visit the lands in the Land of Stories the first night that they got the book. That's what made it magical. That's what opened the portal. <laughs> so Fairy Grandmother at this point is like, so I have I have a frog I have to go disenchant and a baby to bless, and then I'll take you guys home. And they're like, yes, please, we want to go home. We want to see Mom. Yeah. And so Fairy Grandmother goes and blesses Hope with bravery. She's like, she will probably need it, so I will, I will help your daughter to be brave. And Cinderella's like, oh, it's like, so these are your grandkids, then we're practically family. And Alex is over in the corner like, <laughs> <laughs> and Connor's like, it's okay, it's gonna be okay. And then Fairy Grandmother is like, and Froggy, you did so much to help my grandkids, I'm gonna undo your curse. And she undoes the magic of Froggy. And it turns out, he is actually Charlie Charming, the missing prince. Oh my gosh, who could have guessed? Who could have guessed like it? Prize. You did get another prize, Tanner. And you, yes. know who, you know who else gets a prize is the brothers, who immediately surround Froggy, Charlie, and start noogieing him. Like, oh my god, our brother's back! You're so cool! <laughs> and Red Riding Hood is like, ooh, a handsome man now. And I'm like, you better not. <laughs> you don't deserve him. Nope, she's discovered a new man to become a problem for. I mean, literally. But yeah, and so Fairy Grandmother makes a magic door so that Alex and Connor can go home. And Alex turns to all of the fairy tale heroes and she's like, Thank you all for being my best friends! And they're like, we don't know what a best friend is, but we're happy to have helped. <laughs> and that's the end of The Land of Stories, The Wishing Spell. How did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I will be happy to read the next one in the series, or however many it takes for us to get a favorable ending to The Strikes. <laughs> Exactly. And real quick, the absolute last note is that in the acknowledgments, Chris Colfer mentions that he'd like to thank, you know, his family, and then presumably all of his editors and managers and uh, agents, that kind of a thing. But then he specifically mentions Ashley Fink, and also the cast and crew of Glee. Huh. I mean, like, they are best friends, like, in actual real life. Yeah. Which is just delightful. And then also it made me think about, like, Chris Colfer, like, behind the scenes or, like, in his trailer on set, just, like, furiously, like, hunched over and writing his fairy tale book. And everyone else like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's our little brother. He's gonna write a fairy book. And, you know, I do think, I think he did pretty well. Like, obviously, it's a middle grade book. Yeah. And I've significantly aged out of that even more so than me having already aged out of it the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. But I will say that I really enjoyed the way that he interpreted the stuff and was, like, looking at how things would develop after their fairy tales end. And yeah. he, he did go the route of exploring, hmm, why is the evil queen so evil, you know? People can be so judgmental of being filled with hate. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I also, like, even if he did do a lot of, like, I gotta wrap this up so I'm gonna do a lot of deus ex artillery here, like, <laughs> I just still think that a lot of the plot lines are wrapped up in ways that were narratively satisfying, while still also having them be open enough for sequels and future books. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good work, Chris, overall. Maybe less non-consensual kissing next time. Yeah. But yeah, that's all he wrote. It is all he wrote, and that's all he podcasted. I don't know what we're going to do next time. I'm going to attempt to get a hold of his other book, but uh, Chapters did not have it when I checked in there, so mm-hmm. I might have to see if it's available in any of the libraries. Which other one? Um, Stranger Than Fan Fiction. Mm, let me double check. I think I put that on my list. I think I actually put a hold on it, but I think I do have that in my library. Yeah, but next time I want to attempt to actually have read the book instead of just it being due, <laughs> and you're like, here's the information, Tanner, and me going like, wow, what amazing information. <laughs> yeah, I do have it. My library does have it available. I they even have a copy at the one right by my house. Nice. All right, Loser Like Me is part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on your podcast game platform of choice, and if we aren't there, let us know, and we'll work on getting there. We can be found at Loser Like Me Pod on Twitter and through LoserLikeMePod at gmail.com. We have our own Discord server and Tumblr with links in the episode description. Uh, I'm going to talk about next time, so did you, did that, this is what you missed in books. <laughs> we did it. Let's break In our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of atoms magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. Oh, 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 oh,